So my name's Amy. I'm a member here at Hope Community Church. And yeah, I'm very privileged to be able to speak this morning. So today we are completing our series on the book of Jonah. Jonah is a small book, isn't it? But actually over the last three weeks, we've had Matt and Sean speak to us about different points in the Jonah story. And it's just been full of stuff, hasn't it? And I'm sure that the Lord's been speaking to us all through it. Um, So today I'm going to be speaking on Jonah 4. So I don't know if you want to now just open up your Bibles, turn on your phones, find the Bible, and we're going to literally be going through Jonah 4 in a moment. Now, just to kind of remind ourselves of what happened last week when Sean brought the word, but we know from last week that eventually Jonah did what God asked him to do, okay? So Jonah did what God asked him to do. Jonah ended up going to Nineveh and speaking to the Ninevites. And he spoke, if you remember, he just spoke spoke like the shortest preach ever, (laughs) a really, really few words. But those few words miraculously made the king and all the people turn from their evil ways. And then God stopped what he was going to do. Okay, so chapter three ends there. And as we go into chapter four, chapter four is where we see Jonah respond to that situation. All right. So I'm going to invite Sally Spicer up and she's going to take us through chapter four. Sophie is going to pull up um, the words on the screen for those of you that haven't got the Bible. So have a look at that as well. And we'll go through that first. Thanks, Sally. Thank you. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord. Is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people 
who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Thanks, Sally. That's great, thank you. So, there we go, chapter four. And as I start, I just want to say that, you know, this storybook of Jonah, we so often, and I think Matt's mentioned this as well, but actually we so often think of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the fish. But I think it's been really clear over the last three weeks that the Lord doesn't necessarily want us to focus so much on Jonah and the fish. This story is a story for us, the the people of God, and about us, the people of God. So I really feel, and today we are getting quite deep, okay? We're getting really deep. So I need everyone to be on board (laughs) with getting deeper to what the Lord wants to speak to us about. So I'm going to pray quickly because I really feel like our hearts need to be positioned for where the Lord is talking to you personally and what he wants to talk to you about and that we would choose to respond to that by the end, okay? So Lord, I'm just lifting everyone up to you now, Jesus, as we speak this chapter, as we go through this chapter, this chapter four of Jonah. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord, what you want to do today. I thank you for this story. I thank you for the truth that's behind this story. I thank you for what you're trying to reveal to us this morning. And I just pray that every single one of us would just be so receptive to what you're wanting to do, what you're stirring up in our hearts, Lord. And Lord, that Holy Spirit, that you would just make it so clear to us stuff that you're perhaps triggering or wanting to do, Lord, and that we would be receptive to just responding to that. So Lord, I just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right. So Jonah 4 begins with, so we're going to take it through and Sophie's going to do her very best to kind of check in with the verses and keep them on screen as I go through. But we are literally going through the chapter. But Jonah 4 begins when Jonah is not happy. Okay, it says in the word that this, what happened to the Ninevites, the fact that God had was wanting to give them repentance, that it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He wasn't a happy person. And we'll come to this in a little moment, in a little while. But basically, his complete and utter irritation and anger completely and utterly takes over him. So he is struggling to see what the Lord is trying to do in any of this, all right? And it says that he was so angry that he turned to the Lord and prayed. And verse two, it tells us that he prayed. He prayed to the Lord and he said, "'O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country?' That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So it kind of makes me laugh in a way because he's so frustrated. Jonah is so angry, yet he knows God. So he's so frustrated, yet he speaks the characteristics of God. Now, we know that Jonah knows God because Jonah is a prophet. So he knows the Lord, and we can see that because he describes the Lord. But despite everything that Jonah has been through, he's still so angry about this whole situation. 
So he feels like he's got to re-emphasize why he chose to flee from Israel over to Tarshish, doesn't he, at this point in time? So remember, right at the beginning of Jonah, we know that he was in Israel. The Lord asked him to go to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? Went in completely the opposite direction, went to Joppa, and decided to get a ferry all the way over to Tarshish. And Tarshish was basically the edge of the known world at that point in time. Now, when I think about this, I think, did he flee because he was scared? Did he do it because he was scared? Because actually, if he was scared, I'd kind of get that. Like if I think about it myself, we've heard over the last few weeks about the Ninevites and about how awful they were to people. They were not nice people. They did evil things to people. They were not kind. And actually, if Jonah was scared, I kind of get it because for God to send him over to the Ninevites and speak about the Lord that they didn't even believe in, he was pretty scared. So I would get that. But the thing is, Jonah wasn't scared. It wasn't because he was scared that he didn't want to go. It was because he hated the Ninevites. He disliked them with a passion and he knew what God wanted him to do. And he knew that if he did it, he knew what God was going to do if he did it. So he knew what God wanted him to do and he didn't want to do it because he did not like the Ninevites at all. They weren't nice people. They didn't deserve God. They didn't deserve what God wanted to do. They didn't deserve repentance. In fact, he knew because as soon as he re-emphasized this, he says, doesn't he, I didn't want to go because, because I know that you, God, you're a gracious God. You're merciful. You're slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So he knew God, he just didn't want to do what he was told. And it's really funny because considering how cross he is with God, yet deep down he knows God. And I find it kind of, it's kind of conflicting in a way, isn't it? And he goes on to say in verse three, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Again, we've heard over the last three weeks about this kind of over-the-top, dramatic story of Jonah. Everything in this story is completely over-the-top. And it, makes us, it might make you laugh a little bit, the way that in response to what God's done, in response to his anger and frustration, God, um, Jonah is prepared to die. I mean, that's pretty dramatic, isn't it? And you might say to yourself, would I like that? Would I act like that? What would I do in that situation? But there's a part of me that thinks, yes, it's over the top, and yes, it's dramatic, because that's what Jonah is in terms of the whole story. But it doesn't take away the fact that we can probably get a little bit over the top ourselves in certain situations. If we asked ourselves whether we've ever gotten into a bother or got what we would call a bee in our bonnet about things, because we've got so consumed in our own feelings, in our own thoughts, in our own opinions, in our own frustrations, in our own anger, 
Do you think sometimes we lose sight of God's plans and purposes in what he's trying to do? We can think so much about our own emotions. We get so caught up in them. We get so caught up in our own feelings, in our own needs, that actually it can become all-consuming. And although we might know God, we don't always seek him. We know that Jonah here, he knew God, but he wasn't seeking God. And Jesus, we think of Jesus in this story, because Jesus is so evident in the book of Jonah. Jesus gives us such clear direction with this that I think through the story of Jonah, the Lord shows us the same. Because in Matthew 6, Jesus gives his followers some really sound advice in this. He says, don't be anxious. If you look at Matthew 6, it's all around feeling anxious, feeling worried about stuff. He says, don't be anxious. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus tells us that in all of our situations, in all of our circumstances, when we're feeling worried, when we're feeling frustrated, when we're feeling cross, when we're feeling despaired, when things are getting us down, when we are feeling weighed down, he says, first and most importantly, seek the kingdom of God. And seek means to actively aim for, to actively strive for, for his way of doing things, his righteousness, his attitude, his character, because he will help us. And we think about his character, that Jonah described his character, about him being gracious and merciful, steadfast in love, slow to anger, And these words that Jonah spoke out is not the first time or the last time that these words are spoken out about the character of God. In fact, it was God that spoke these words over himself back in Exodus. He spoke them to Moses. The thing is, is that we can know God, but we don't always seek him. We can have the knowledge like Jonah but we can actively not strive for his way of doing things. Instead, we continue to focus on our own thoughts, our own feelings. And when we're hurt, when we're struggling, it can be hard because emotions rise. And when emotions rise, we can sometimes think irrationally or we get bogged down by our emotions. And actually, I think this is what's happening here with Jonah. He's so consumed with his own anger. He's so cross about the situation. He's so caught up in himself that although he's able to verbalize God's character, he's not seeking God in what, is, what God is trying to do in what's happening here. Instead, Jonah is making it so much more about him where he is literally prepared to die. So, Yes, it's very dramatic, but this is why Jonah 4, the chapter 4, is so good. Because through Jonah 4, we really start to see and understand the breadth of God's grace and mercy 
for Jonah, but not just for Jonah, for us, for God's people. We see Jesus, his grace over us, over our lives. So after this initial outburst to God, God turns to Jonah and in God's grace and in his continuous pursuit for Jonah, he's not going to let him go. He's going to continually pursue Jonah. He says in verse four, do you do well to be angry? But again, Jonah is still frustrated. He's still angry. He's not let it up. And so what does he do? It goes on to tell us that he gets up, stomps on off out of the city, goes out of the city, finds a little booth, sits there and just watches over the city. And it doesn't tell us what he's doing while he's watching, but I do wonder whether he's he's sitting there watching the city, just thinking, I hope God still judges Nineveh. I hope he doesn't do what he said he's going to do. I hope God's changed his mind. We can see that Jonah is still really annoyed. He's still not lacking any compassion. He's still not getting what God's trying to do at all. So then the Lord appoints a plant in verse 6. And it says that it made it, he made it come up and over Jonah, providing a nice shade for his head. And it says that Jonah was exceedingly glad because now, of course, Jonah is comfortable. He's comfortable. He's not hot. He's chilling out, watching over the city, probably hoping that God is going to end up judging them. He's probably breathing a sigh of relief. It says that he just sits there and waits. But then the next day, after a good night's sleep, so God, I think, has just given him a rest to cool down a little bit. The next morning, God then appoints a worm. What does the worm do? The worm then attacks the plants. So it withers. So there's no more shade anymore. Then God lets the sun rise, but the sun is boiling hot. It says that it's scorching hot, so it makes Jonah faint. So he's gone from being comfortable to very uncomfortable, to the point, instead of him asking for God's help, knowing that God's there, he's clearly there. He's done some stuff with Jonah over the the last few weeks we've seen, haven't we? Jonah is totally um, over the top. And in verse 8, he turns around again and says, it's better for me to to die than live. I mean, seriously, so dramatic. Anyway, so God uses this scenario to try and talk to Jonah again. And he says in verse 9, Jonah, do you do well to be angry at the plant? And Jonah replies, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. It's dramatic, but God is using these different situations. And by his grace, God doesn't give up who God is, doesn't give up. And he replies to Jonah, and we're going to read verse 10 now, because in his reply, he says, Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand 
from their left and also much cattle. God here is trying to help Jonah understand the bigger picture. Because up until this point, he's just very consumed in himself and his own feelings. And so God's saying, Jonah, how can you change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a tree that you did nothing to get? You didn't plant or water it. It grew up one night and then it died the next day. So how can't I change how I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? He's saying to Jonah that there's, you know, there's more than 120,000 people in that city of Nineveh, Jonah. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. And, and we could, you know, God is not excusing what the Ninevites have done. They were horrible people. They did awful things. He's not excusing this. He's not saying that it's okay. What he's saying is that actually they don't know their right hand from their left hand. They are completely and utterly misguided. They've lost their way morally and spiritually. They've deviated and drifted off. And God's saying, look, you're, you've described me, Jonah, as gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, repent, relenting from disaster. This is who God is. But Jonah, there's 120,000 people in Nineveh who have completely lost their way. They didn't just choose to go in the opposite direction like you did, Jonah. They're falling. They're sinking. And Jonah, I want to rescue them. I want to rescue these people. And we see, you know, in this, you start to recognize the scale of God's grace and mercy, his compassion, his love on all people. To Jonah and to the Ninevites. And isn't this just such a beautiful depiction of Jesus? Because this is what Jesus did for us. He came, he rescued us, he's forgiven us, and through Jesus we're reconciled to God, aren't we? Because of Jesus we're all forgiven. And the cross demonstrates this amazing love that God has for us, and not just for us, but for everyone that calls upon the name of Jesus. The catch, of course, here isn't that God wants us to know that he forgives. Jesus makes it clear that forgiveness is a very important part of our journey. And through the Gospels, Jesus says to his followers, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who hurt you. And that can be really hard. Jonah didn't find it easy. But just like in Jonah, God invites us to seek him. I think often we recognise God's forgiveness and we can kind of accept that part and we're, we're good with that. 
But when we think about our own part to play, I think that can become more difficult as human beings. I can't, you know, this whole issue of forgiveness, I know that I can't possibly stand up here and know everyone's or possibly understand people's situations and circumstances and things that people have been through where they are struggling with this, struggling with forgiveness. You know, there might be people here that have deep, deep hurts. And I, I recognize that. But what I do know is that the Lord wants to give every one of us freedom. Bitterness, resentment, past hurts, anger, frustrations, all these things we see in this chapter, they can eat us up like they did with Jonah. They can eat us up inside from living the life that Jesus has called us into, a life in all of its fullness. John 10.10, 10, it says that the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He does not want you to move past stuff that you might be dealing with in order to break you free from some of this. But then, of course, it goes on to say that Jesus came to give life, life in all its fullness. And it doesn't mean that God expects us to forgive and then become best friends or forgive and have a super close relationship. He wasn't that saying that to Jonah either. But I think the first step in all of this, if this is something that you are dealing with or something um, that you, you are struggling with, I think the first step is that Jesus calls us to seek him to seek Jesus rather than to just to push it away or run in the opposite direction or choose not to listen or run away or whatever it is that stops us from dealing with it in orders order for us to move on I think it all starts there and the rest follows it all starts with seeking Jesus I've got a friend who, um, a really, really good friend of mine who has, I'm not going to go into all the ins and outs, but her story is just, she had a really, really difficult upbringing, a really difficult upbringing. And it breaks my heart to know that what happened. But she's been through a big process of forgiveness and reconciliation. And I remember saying to her, how? I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I don't feel like I can stand up here and know the answers. Like, how? And she said to me, I went to Jesus first. Jesus, you've got to start with Jesus. Seek Jesus and the rest will follow. Might not be a quick process. Probably isn't, you know, depending on what's going on. But seek Jesus. The world would say, you know, the world says the opposite. The world tells us to retaliate, 
hate our enemies. How dare they do that? You know, all of this. Yet Jesus calls us to love. He calls us to love. So I'm just going to invite the band back up, if that's okay, um, as we just close. Okay. <clears throat> so... Um, Look, there's a lot in Jonah. There's a lot in chapter four. It's deep. I told you it's going to be deep. But I do feel, I really, really, really feel that the Holy Spirit is on the move this morning. I feel like there probably are people here that, um, that are struggling a bit with some of this. And... The word says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I really believe that there are people here where he just wants to give you freedom. People who are yearning for freedom. And it's a scary step because maybe it's all been caught up for a long, long, long time, it might be something that you have literally just ran away from and shoved away for a very, very long time. But perhaps today the Holy Spirit is stirring up inside of you, asking you to just deal with it and, and come to him. There's a few things here, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I think, ask you to just close your eyes in this moment. Um, just close your eyes. Because I think that there's probably people here who um, are struggling with forgiveness. Struggling with um, somebody or something that's hurt them. And the Lord just wants you to know that he knows and he wants to help you with that. And there might be people that are struggling in terms of something that they've done. And they're struggling to find grace, God's grace in that forgiveness because they are feeling guilty and ashamed and anxious about it. And the Lord would say to you, my grace is sufficient. I know Paul's just gone to the back, so if anybody does want prayer and would like to go and have some prayer, I would really encourage this today. Please don't be afraid to get up and go to the back or put your hand up or make yourself known or just speak to the Lord yourself please don't um, don't leave here without maybe just talking to somebody praying with somebody I also think that there are probably people um, who are caught up in their own feelings and are feeling those feelings of resentment, maybe anger, 
maybe from bitterness. And you're actually really struggling with that. And I believe that the Lord would say to you, you know, seek me. Seek me. Seek me and my kingdom. Seek my righteousness, my character, my attitude. Anything that's weighing you down, I'm here. This morning in the prayer um, in the prayer meeting before the service, Lynn and Maggie talked about maybe the we hope, we pray, we want to see locks unlocked. We want to see keys to freedom. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you these keys to freedom. Come to me. I want to give you freedom. Jesus loves you. His grace is huge. Look at what God did with the Ninevites. Look at how much he just wants to draw close to you. And as you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. It says this in the word. And I love that. I love that. Let nothing get in the way of that. So we're going to move time into a time of worship. Um, but yeah, I just encourage you to pray. I'll go to the back as well if anybody would like to pray. And some of the prayer team are at the back. Um, and I'm just going to cover us in prayer as we go into worship. But Lord, yeah, I just thank you for this word. I thank you. You know, it's a deep subject and it's, um, some of it can be quite difficult, I think, for people, Lord. But Lord, you know our hearts. You know, you know our situations. You know our circumstances. You know everything that we're thinking about right now. You know the people that want to get up and have some prayer, but too afraid to. You know the people that are sitting there just, yeah, just wanting to just come to you now and seek you. So Lord, I just, just pray, Lord, that you would do only what you can do, Lord. That you would bring peace, that you would bring freedom, I pray particularly for those who seek prayer, that, Lord, as they speak it out to somebody else, somebody that they can trust, somebody who will pray with them, Lord, that, yeah, there's, there's going to be so much freedom in that to just speak it out and, and that you would just reign over them, Lord, and in them and just fill them up with your peace and your love and your, yeah, just complete and utter freedom, Lord. Like it's a huge release, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for who you are. Help us to be brave this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.